You are listening to Melbourne Lights Church Weekly Podcast. Get your Bibles, would you open them with me to, let's go to Romans chapter 5. We'll get there. I'm not going to go straight to Romans 5, but in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, it'll come up on the screen so you can see it while you're finding Romans chapter 5. It says this, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We've had a busy sort of few weeks as a church with teams in and out and other people ministering and the amazing interview with Taylor and Sylvia last week and just hearing what God's going to do in them and through them. But a few weeks ago, before all the other stuff that was going on, we started a series called The Resilience Project, just for a lack of a better name. But basically the idea is this, to unpack what does having faith that endures look like? Faith that's not just when things are going well for me, but what does it look like to continue to have faith, to continue to stay focused on Jesus, and to be full, full of him when things aren't going well for me, or in the ups and downs of life, and the, the trials of life. We want to unpack this idea of faith that's mature and strong, and isn't tossed to and fro by every wave that comes, or every different opinion or idea that's thrown up. How do we build enduring faith? How do I strengthen my faith? A.W. Tozer says this, that faith is the gaze of the soul upon a saving God. Faith is a focus. It's relational, not transactional. Many of us have heard about faith, or maybe we've grown up in a church context, and we've heard faith taught as something like, if you have enough faith, you can move in the supernatural. If you have enough faith, God will do things for you. But I don't think that faith... When we look at the, the, the Bible, that faith is a currency for us to use to see more spiritual things happen. Because Jesus says, even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea and it'll be, it'll be moved. I mean, that's tiny, tiny, tiny. So it's not about having more or less. I think it's about a focus. It's about the gaze of our soul. Are we able to, to, to walk relationally and intimately with Jesus? We have to move away from this transactional thinking as believers and step toward relationship. We have to move away from, if I do this, Jesus will do that for me. And move toward relationship. He wants an intimate relationship with me every day, all the time, in every moment, not just Sunday mornings. I don't just come to, come to church Sunday morning and then go, okay, God bless me for the rest of my week. But it's every day. It's like the Israelites uh, in... in uh, as they were coming into the promised land in the desert, God fed them with manna. And they had to go collect it every day. They couldn't store it up. It wasn't once a week. It was every day. And they got fed up with that. But God was teaching them something. God was teaching them that, that we don't live in relationship with him one day a week. It's every day. It's in every moment. We have to continue to direct the gaze of our soul onto our Savior. In every circumstances, in every, uh, whether we're on the mountaintop or we're in a valley place, whether we're facing hardship or facing abundance, we direct our soul toward Jesus. We deal ruthlessly with anything that would try and take our gaze away from Jesus. Can we pray this morning? Lord, I pray even this morning 
that we would direct our gaze towards you. As we have in worship, as we have in hearing testimonies, would we see you. Help us to not be distracted by the other things around us, but to direct the gaze of our soul upon, to, upon our Savior. Thank you, Lord. We started the series with three points, just by way of recap. Faith that endures is anchored in the person and presence of Jesus, not in circumstances or in people. Faith that endures or that is strong is tested. It's refined through fire. Faith that endures is in community, and faith that endures is faith that's used, or it's faith that's worked out. So I'd like to finish this morning, I'm going to tell you how we're going to finish before we get there, with communion together. So I wonder if, um, if Carla or some of the people could help me out, because I don't want to take heaps of time when we get to the end of this preach to hand out communion. So if you didn't grab one of these on the way in, we're going to hand some out as I preach. Is that cool? So someone's going to bring some communion in. They'll hand it out as I preach. And at the end, we're going to have communion together. Thanks, guys. Look at it. It's like a well-oiled machine. They just jump up. And I'm sure it's not planned, but they're just servant-hearted people. I think one of the hardest things for us as, as followers of Jesus is this question, what do I do when I don't see answers to prayer. How do I live in the tension between fully pursuing breakthrough, healing, the release of what God has for me, but not seeing the fullness of that yet? If we're going to be real about enduring faith, how do we build strong faith? These are the sort of questions we have to ask because we fully believe that God is a healer and he can heal. We fully believe that God can bring breakthrough and freedom. But sometimes we pray for people and we don't see them healed. Now, what happens often in Christian circles is that we tend to swing the pendulum one way or another. So we swing the pendulum, uh, you know, if I pray for Mark for healing and I don't see healing released, sometimes we swing the pendulum and we develop an unhelpful theology that has something to do with his lack of faith. And so we've been told, oh, well, if you just had more faith, Mark, then you'd be healed. I've released healing to you, but you haven't received it because there's something in your life. Maybe there's sin in your life. Maybe there's something that's blocking that healing coming. Some of you might have been told that, and it's brought condemnation to you. And I feel like God wants to set you free this morning from that condemnation. The other side is that we, you know, sometimes we swing the pendulum the other way, and we say, well, God doesn't want to heal. That was only for the New Testament time. God doesn't heal anymore. You know, it's just when we go to be with him, when we, when we die and we go to heaven or, you know, after this life, then we'll be whole. And so then we stop praying or stop having expectation for healing or breakthrough. But what we see in the scriptures is that God heals. That God can set us free from the demonic. That God works in our lives. So what do we do in the tension between the now and the not yet? What do we do in the tension between what we see in the scripture that we're going after with fullness, but sometimes we don't see the fullness of that now? How do we live in that place? That's a key question if we're gonna have enduring faith because these, sort of the, these are the sort of questions that often cause people's faith to waver. They go, I prayed, but they weren't healed. And we begin to question the character of God. 
we begin to question the nature of who God is. I think for us to have a good understanding of living in the tension, we have to come back to the fact that God is relational. If we're looking at Scripture purely as, um, as, as doctrines to follow or to uphold, if we're looking just systematically, and there's nothing wrong with systematic theology, it's a good way to study, but God didn't, didn't want to reveal himself systematically. The point of Scripture is relationship, and it changes the way we can live in tension if we understand that God is relational. It's not just doctrines to adhere to, religious boxes to tick, and if I tick enough boxes, then I have the currency of faith to use for a healing or to use for a breakthrough. No, 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 no. That's unhelpful, and it's why many people, when they don't see breakthrough, have walked away. When we see the overarching theme of the scripture is relationship, God's relationship with his people. He created us for relationship. Sin entered, and it broke that relationship. And so the whole Old Testament is this thing of, uh, of, uh, of a people trying to have relationship with God. And God's saying, actually, there's a better way. And then Jesus comes. The sacrifice that makes a way for us to be restored to relationship with him. When we understand that there's a relational aspect that's overarching to everything in the scripture, it helps us live in the tension between going after the things that the Bible says we should pursue and sometimes not seeing it. There's a mystery in our faith. Somebody said, and I tend to agree with this, with this uh, statement, that the amount of the miraculous that we are able to walk in is directly linked to the amount of mystery we're willing to live in. Sometimes people get upset with that statement. Oh, no, there's no mystery because it's all in the Scripture. Well, the, the, the Scripture is there, but there's a lot of mystery in Scripture, why did Jesus at the, at the pool of Bethsaida only heal one person when all of the people were sick there? I don't know. I don't have an answer for you on that. Some people try and make up like they do know, but they don't know because it doesn't say. Um, why, why? Why? Why when I pray, why when I pray for somebody, somebody, this person gets healed and that person doesn't? I don't know. But I'm willing to live in that mystery, and I'm going to keep praying for people because God heals. And we've seen a release of the miraculous. Why do we not see more? I don't know. And that's a question I can ask for myself. God, why are we not seeing more? You know, but the question is this. It's a question in relationship. God, why am I not seeing more? But don't let it drive me from relationship with you. Let it, be, let it drive me to greater intimacy with you. Because I think it's from a place of increased intimacy with him that we see more release. Because we actually hear his voice clearer. It stops being about how many boxes have I ticked to see the thing happen that I want to happen. And it starts being more about, Lord, let me hear your voice. What do you want to see happen right now? What are you doing? Where are you moving right now? Not what do I want to see in a situation, but Lord, what are you doing in this situation? <laughs> I love it. She's like, yeah. Whoever that is, like, yeah. Isaiah 43, verse 1 to 3 says, But now thus says the Lord, who, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, 
I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Psalm 23 says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Too much of Western modern Christianity has taught that if we face suffering or hardship or trials, then you must not be walking in the will of God. You must be sinful. You must not have enough faith. It's not biblical. We have to help people develop, bless you, a robust theology of suffering and hardship. Not that God puts suffering on us, but there's times in the tension between where I am now and being redeemed with him in eternity. We have to also have, this is a preach for another time, a good theology of eternity. Because if we actually don't believe in eternity and this is all that there is, then why would I suffer? Because this has to be the fullness of it. But when we understand that this isn't all there is, we're pilgrims passing through, there is an eternity, we can have a robust theology of suffering, which is this, that, that in my suffering, in that place of tension, Jesus is drawing me to himself. He's there. The question to ask ourselves, whether we're on the mountaintop or we feel like we're in the depths of the valley, we're going through the valley, is Jesus, where are you? Jesus, let me see you. And when you ask that, you'll see that he's right next to you. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, in the fire, they look in and they say, there's a fourth person in there. Not standing far away. Not in heaven going, well, here's some magical fairy dust to get you through your situation. With you. In the situation. In the fire. But so often in those times, we feel like God's far off. The result of having a poor theology of suffering is that often when things get tough or they don't go our way, many Western Christians turn away from the Lord. He must not be real. We begin to question his character. The very thing that should drive us to deeper and greater dependence upon Jesus into a deeper, more intimate relationship with him becomes the very thing that actually becomes the break between our relationship because we don't understand who he is. We like the bless me, prosper me, cause your face to shine upon me scriptures, but we don't often teach the James 1 verse 2 to 3. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet various trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We don't like the Hebrews, run with endurance the race set before you. Peter McHugh said, faith becomes your own when it's challenged. When it's challenged. We can grow up in church. We can grow up in, in, in an environment of faith, in a community of faith that people say, but never really have your own faith. You can grow up with other people. You can hear about other people's testimony of their relationship with Jesus, but never actually have your own relationship with Jesus. When I faced, when, when, when myself and my family have faced various trials, when Elodie and Henry were in hospital and, and almost, we almost lost them in a night, people say, 
I, I was carried by your prayers. You don't know what that feels like until you are actually carried by other people's prayers. When you go, I don't know how to pray myself, but other people are praying for me. It's through the valley of the shadow of death that you go, wow, this is real. This isn't somebody else's faith. I know he's there with me now. You can't borrow it. We call that rented faith, not owned faith. And sadly, when we just teach, bless me church, prosperity church, show up on a Sunday and do your own thing, many of us grow up with a faith that's not our own. It's rented from our parents or from our, our, our youth group or from the people around us, even from our spouse, but it's not our own. It's not a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus where even in the trial and in the hardship, I go, where are you? And I see he's right there and I hear his voice. He doesn't become far off from me. Actually, my faith is strengthened even in the hardship, in the tension between, God, I'm contending for breakthrough, and I'm contending for healing, and I'm contending for more, but I haven't seen it released yet, but I still trust that you're the healer, and you're good, and you're faithful, and if not now, then I'll see you in eternity, but I'm contending for it right now. I'm preaching today and not teaching so much, and I have no my notes are gone. Did you guys find Romans chapter 5? Good. It says this. I'm going to read from verse 1 to verse 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love that. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice. Hang on a second. We like the first part of this, don't we? Oh, the hope of the glory of, glory of God. His glory to shine upon us. Oh, we're going to see your face. And, and then he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I don't know about you, but I haven't found it easy to rejoice in my suffering. As a preacher, I kind of find it easier to look back at the times of my suffering and use them for sermon illustrations. But in my suffering, it's hard to rejoice. I, I know God's with me. Those times have strengthened my faith. But I have, to be honest, have found it hard to rejoice in hard times. But it says this, suffering produces endurance. What is endurance? It's the ability to endure unpleasant circumstances. A difficult process. A hard situation without giving way. It's the capacity um, of something to last or withstand without wear and tear. Now, if, if you train to do something like a marathon, an endurance race, in the training, you put your body through strain to strengthen it to endure the wear and tear of the race that's going to come. Think about that in terms of our faith, that when our faith is put under pressure, under some, 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 some hardship, some tension, it's strengthened to endure the race that we're running. There's a strengthening that happens through that. There's a training up. Suffering and hardship is the training ground for keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. 
The point when we, when we face suffering and hardship is not to begin to question who God is, but, be, but to stay focused on him. Say, I'm not going to focus. I'm not going to pretend like it's not real. I think that's where we get into to craziness. I'm not going to pretend like this isn't happening to me. It is happening. It is real. But I'm not going to look to it. I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to stay fixed on Jesus. If I break my leg... It's not normal to pretend like my leg's not broken. No, nah, it's fine. It's like at a weird angle. <laughs> to pretend like it's not broken is kooky. But I can pray for healing for it. I can contend for healing. I can still get a cast put on it as well. Sometimes God uses doctors to help in our healing process. But it's not pretending like it doesn't exist. It's saying that even though this thing has happened, I'm not going to let it stop me from focusing on Jesus and doing what he's called me to do. I'm not going to stay away from the gathering of believers. I'm not going to stop preaching the gospel. I'm not going to stop outreaching because I might have a broken leg and be on crutches. The very thing that might be stopping me could become the testimony for other people. When my son Henry, we thought his ankle was broken, you guys saw him on crutches, I, wasn't, I, I didn't even say to him, you should go get somebody to pray for you. That shows how much faith I've got. Got him some crutches. He couldn't put weight on it. He's hobbling around. I'm out there. He went himself and got Monica and um, a few of the girls, Sarah and Michaela, to pray for him. And I saw him. So this is, I mean, this, this is great, isn't it? I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I'm out there. I see him come out on his crutches, throw him down, and just run out. And I'm like, what the flip is that? That's probably not a good idea. So I'm like, Henry, what are you doing? Like, were you faking it? He goes, no, no. I just got them to pray for me. And then I was convicted, obviously, because I was like, I should have had some faith and been like, why don't you go, why don't you get some prayer? I mean, we had prayed as well, but he's, he was healed. The very thing that was a hindrance to him became a testimony. I was able to share with one of the, uh, a soccer coach this week, I was having lunch with him. And told him, I said, he says to me, it's a friend of mine, he says, uh, I'm not any closer to religion at the end of our lunch. I said, that's all right, neither am I. Um, I said, let me tell you about something. He, he tells me that he's hearing, um, it just seems like I'm always hearing this voice that's telling me to do good things. And I was like, maybe that's, it's probably Jesus. I said, let me tell you a story. So I tell him about Henry's ankle. And he was just like, that seems, you, you understand that for an outsider, that seems pretty weird. I was like, yeah, but it's real. And he goes, I have to experience it for myself. I have to. And I said, you open, you open your Bible. I know you have one. And say, Jesus, reveal yourself to me. The very thing, the hardship, yes, it produces endurance, but it also can become the testimony of it. Endurance produces character. So the, the, the trial, the, the point is to keep our eyes on Jesus and to not stop with the kingdom. Endurance produces character. Standing in the face of hardship and strain produces character in our lives. I got to hurry up. Here we go. Um, it's Christ-likeness that's produced in us. It's not Jesus, if you do this for me, then I'll follow you. It's I want to know him, as Paul said, and the power of his resurrection. I want to know you. It produces Christ's likeness in us. Christ is formed in us when even in the face of trial and hardship, we keep our eyes fixed upon him. That's where character comes in. 
Sometimes I think we look at people who are maybe more mature or older in their faith, and we go, why does it seem like you're always level? I like to pick on Mark and Louise because they're older than I am in my faith. Go, why does it seem like they're always level? You know, they must just have a good life. Nothing ever goes wrong. <laughs> have you ever stopped to ask the people that you think are always level and everything's good what's actually going on in their life? Because the thing about maturity or the thing about endurance producing character is that we don't stop having these moments in our life. It's just that because we've learned to stand and stay focused on Jesus and we've allowed Christ to be formed in us through his spirit, that we don't go up and down like this emotionally with the ups and downs. We are level because he's level. We say, where are you in this? Lord, speak. And we also have other people around us who can hold us up. Because there is some of those times where we just go, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to fall apart. But if it's on your own, then you fall apart. And you go, ooh, ooh, I'm up, I'm down, I'm up, I'm down. This is the best day ever. And then Monday comes and I'm in the pit again. I want to know him. Character is formed and tested through fire being able to see where is Jesus right now and running to him. Character, it says, produces hope. Character produces hope because it's Christ being formed in us and he's the hope of glory. This is where we get to the, the, the Christ, the hope of glory, the good bit that came before that we rejoice in our suffering. Is that as he's formed in us, we look forward to the hope of being, glor- being in glory with him. That even though there's ups and downs in this life, that there's a greater call upon us. There's a greater purpose for our lives. Like, that was the question that I always asked when I was growing up and I was in high school. I was like, what's the point of life? What's the point? Why do you have me here? God, why? You know, why? Why should I study? Why, do you, why, do, why should I work? What's the point? The point is to know Jesus and to make him known. The point is you have a bigger purpose than to just do school, get a job, get married, have kids, grow old, and die. In all of that, whether you, whether you do school or don't do school, whether you get married or don't get married, whether you have kids or don't have kids, the point is to know Jesus, and the greater purpose is to help other people know Jesus. And if you live with that purpose, your life will be full. You'll be full of joy, even in the midst of hardship, because you have a greater purpose. If it's all about you, you will be sad. If it's all about you, you'll be depressed. Why does our culture have the highest rate of depression of any country in the world? Why is Western culture full of depression and all this stuff? Because we don't live with a greater purpose. As we sang this morning, if you're suffering with depression, God wants to set you free. But part of the freedom comes in community and with purpose. It's living on mission will bring freedom from depression. That wasn't my preach this morning, but that's for somebody. We've got to keep moving. Character produces hope because it's Christ, the hope of glory being formed in us. And hope will not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Verse 5 said, 
when our hope is in the Lord, when we've learned to see where he is in any circumstance, when we press into him, when we allow him to continue to be formed in us, despite what's happening around us, we won't be put to shame because God is faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful in your ups. He's faithful in the downs. He's faithful in the good times, and he's faithful in the triumph. In the trials, every circumstance, be they good or bad. This preach this morning is not just about all the bad times. You, know, you might be sitting here going, well, I feel like everything's going good for me right now. This is for you as well. Be they good or bad, every circumstance becomes an opportunity for deeper relationship with Jesus and for Christ to be formed in us. When God blesses you, it's an opportunity for Christ to be formed in you, for character to be formed. To say, God, what do you want me to do with this? When I have lack, it's an opportunity for Christ to be formed in me. To say, God, in my lack, I still want to glorify you. I'm not now going to focus on becoming my own provider. You're the provider. You said you're the provider. So I'm declaring you're the provider. God, will you please provide? And in the tension between seeing your provision... And where I am right now, I still trust that you are faithful. Jesus will not abandon you or forsake you. Yeah. Thank you. I got one, I got one person in the room that's agreeing with this message this morning. He says, run to me, look to me, I'm faithful. Taylor mentioned this last week. I, I, I loved it. He said, um, when you ask God for patience, he doesn't just magically give you patience. He doesn't sprinkle patience dust over you. He gives you opportunities for your patience to grow. Puts you in situations where you have to be patient. If you want faith that endures, mm, faith that's strengthened and mature. If you want to get to the place of maturity and you go, if only I was like Mark and Louise, then I'd be good. If you want to get to the place that Mark and Louise are in, in their life, and they're not perfect, I'm just picking on them this morning. He's going to put you in situations that strengthen your faith and your dependence upon him. The reason that they are who they are, and I can pick on them, is because I know the situations and the fires that they've gone through and the strengthening and the refining that's taken place in their life. Who they are today is not formed by lack of trial. It's formed by staying Jesus-focused through the trials. By staying on mission through the trials. By staying on purpose in the trials. One of the most amazing things to watch as a church leader is people who are in the midst of some of the most heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching trials ministering to other people because the purpose hasn't changed. While they're contending for healing, praying for others and seeing healing come, that's the tension of the mystery. Some of, the, some of my friends who move in miraculous signs and wonders have themselves been sick. I don't, I don't know why. I don't have an answer for that except that they just keep praying for healing for others and they get healed. And they keep praying for healing themselves and they haven't seen it released. I don't think it's a lack of faith. I don't think it's that they're not hearing God. I, they're walking with him. I don't know. And you don't know. So don't try and tell me that you do know because you don't know. They don't know. That's the mystery. That's the tension. But we keep contending. 
We keep contending. We keep going after what the Bible says that, we, that we'll do uh, even greater works than Jesus did. We'll do what he did and even greater things. If, we ne- if you never pray for somebody who has passed away, how are we ever going to see the dead raised? If you don't pray for the sick, I guarantee your strike rate for healing will be perfect. If you never pray for anyone, you'll never see any healing. You'll be like, I'm 100% because you've never prayed for anyone. Because If you start praying for healing for people, people will get, some people won't get healed, but people will get healed. Why do we endure suffering? Because Jesus suffered. Because there's a growth and a maturing that happens in our faith through facing trials and hardship and suffering and seeing Jesus in those moments with you, walking in relationship with him. I don't want to be the, the, a prophet of doom and gloom, but I think we will see more suffering. We haven't been persecuted. And I would say this with the most, utmost respect for those of you who felt persecuted over the last couple of years. We're not persecuted. You haven't been thrown in jail. You haven't been burned at the stake. Your kids haven't been killed. You haven't been beheaded. I have a friend um, who lives in the U.S. as a refugee, um, and he was an Iranian pastor. I've sat in his van. I think Bethany was in the van with him. Planted a church in Ephesus. His friend who planted the church with him was martyred, taken to jail and killed. His wife had her throat cut. She lived. He had been in jail 10 times. He's talking about being beaten for the gospel. And he began to weep. And I was like, oh my gosh. This is, and he's weeping as he's driving. I was like, we, could, we might need to pull over. And he's weeping. And he's weeping not because he was beaten, not because his friend died. He said, because it's such a privilege to be beaten for the gospel. Weeping. that Jesus would be glorified in my suffering. We don't know what suffering is, but that Jesus would be glorified. Jesus doesn't say, come to me and you never suffer. He doesn't say that, but he says, I'll be with you and I'll be formed in you and I am faithful. Romans 15, 13, I'll finish with this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Would you stand with me this morning? I don't want to down, I, I, I didn't mean to downplay in my story of my friend what you're facing this morning. Just saying when it comes to persecution, I don't think we fully know what that looks like. But there are some in the, in the room, maybe many, and you are facing trial. You're facing hardship. You're facing health battles. You're facing loss, or you've come through those seasons. It's not to downplay. But that heart, a, what, what a joy that Christ would be glorified in my suffering. Would that be our heart? If you're here today, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. He's calling you to put your faith and your trust and your hope and your confidence in him, to follow him, 
There's a humility in that to say, actually, I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I want to live for him. I want relationship with him. I want to tell you Jesus is alive and he wants to fill you with his presence. He wants to break depression off of your life. He wants to give you a hope and a purpose. The way we do that is, is, is simply this. By acknowledging that he is who he said he is. That he died and rose again. And repenting for the wrong we've done. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. I want to invite you this morning to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He wants to awaken you to his purpose. He wants to fill you with his presence. He wants to mark you. He wants to give you a new identity and a new calling. And if you're here today and you've never made him the Lord of your life, or maybe that you, at some point you've grown up in church, but your faith has been a rented faith. This morning, will you come and make him Lord and say, I want my own faith today. Not my parents, not somebody else's. Jesus, I want that intimate relationship with you. If that's you, would you come to the front? The rest of us are going to respond. We're going to have communion. But I want to ask you, whether it's now or when we finish, to get out of your seat, to come to the front and say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And we'd love to pray with you. It's a joy. We celebrate. The Bible says that all of heaven celebrates when one person makes Jesus the Lord of their life, when one person responds. So it's a celebration. That's why we hear testimonies of people getting saved. We cheer and we clap and we get happy because we're celebrating because heaven's celebrating. You got something? Cool. Before we have communion, come. just want to read from Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. It says, I would have fainted, or I wouldn't have had any more strength to carry on. But then it says, unless. And this is the message that Matt's been preaching to us today. It says, unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And here is the key, and this is what he's been preaching to us. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And there's another scripture that says, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And it's the kind of waiting, it says, where you fully wrap yourself around and completely join with him. And I think sometimes when we are going through trial... And it might not just be because we're contending for somebody else, but we're actually in that place ourselves. Sometimes we find ourselves completely exhausted and without any strength. And you might find yourself in that place, not because you've given up, but because, as Matt has been preaching, it's been long and you're tired. But I love what the Word of God says. It says, those who wait on the Lord, they they shall renew their strength. So whether you're young or whether you're old, it says even young people get tired And they're ready to fall. In other words, they can't keep going. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And so it's not an accusation to come to the end of yourself. And as um, Matt was preaching, and even in the worship today, I saw the most beautiful picture of the sun rising. It says this. It says, the sun, S-U-N, 
of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And I just heard the phrase in my, in the Lord speaking to me personally, and he said, and then there was mourning. And I love the fact that Jesus says of himself, he says, I was dead, but now I am alive. And I love the fact that he is the God of the living and he is the living God. And I love the fact that even when it seems that all options are finished, like in the Bible, there was Good Friday. All options for God were gone. There was no more option. There was no more choice. The disciples lived through that. They come to the end of themselves and they came to the end of all hope. They came to the end of every possibility. But I love, then there was Sunday, the third day. And then there was mourning because Jesus said, I was dead. But look, behold, now I'm alive. Now that is when we're looking not just to God, what are you doing? I'm looking to who are you? Who are you right now? And so I love it. That's We come to before his face. So I just want to encourage us today. If you're tired today, and you've even run out of questions to ask, like, why is this ha- even happening? Why do I find myself here? Maybe change the question. Look to the Son of Righteousness, because He is rising with healing in His wings. Look to Him, the person, and He will renew your strength. And I just, I love that. The, the Word says, you say, seek my face. And my response is, yes, Lord, your face I will seek. I feel there's an invitation for us this morning to literally encounter the living one. Look to him. Look to his face. He's coming. Louise just put amazing language to what I was feeling. And the reason we want to take communion this morning, as uh, I want it to be our response to him. I felt like God say that he literally wants to, to commune with us. He wants to commune with you. Communion is a, it's a remembrance. It's a symbol. But it's more than that this morning. Someone said, Jesus came to reconcile all things to himself, even my suffering, so that all of the above can be caught up into him, becoming a place of communion. Whether you're in the midst of the trial and the fire right now, or you're on the mountaintop, He's inviting you to come commune with him, to be with him. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to draw you to his heart today. I want to read a poem to you. I want to pray. And then we're going to have communion together. Or you can have it on your own. I'm not going to lead you in it. You might need to sit and just say, Jesus, I want to commune with you. You might ask the people around you to pray with you. You might grab somebody. That's okay. I'm not going to lead this part, but I want to read this poem to you. It says this. Let my tiredness be Christ. My pain, my lack, and fog be Christ. My many tears be Christ, and my sorrow be Christ. May my loss and my future, my present be Christ. May my sleep be Christ. May my wakeful nights be Christ. 
that it all may die its sacred death on the cross of my adoration, that I may be with Christ in everything, my love, my being, my all. Lord, I pray this morning, even as we finish with communion and we remember what you've done for us and we, de we declare what you've done for us into our future, Lord, would we commune with you? Would our suffering and our trials draw us closer to your heart? Would our blessing and our mountaintops and our, our victories draw us closer to your heart? And would we stand with those around us in the midst of their trial and point them to your heart? We thank you for your spirit poured out. That when we see you and you're formed in us as the hope of glory. And so we bless you today. We thank you, Lord. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If you have any questions or would like more information, please contact us at melbournelightschurch.com.au.